This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast. The podcast designed to help you step out of the shadows and become an inspirational leader. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and each episode I will be getting to grips with a leadership topic by interviewing an expert in their field. I'll be picking their brains for those golden nuggets that will help you be the best you can be. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing at thereluctantleader.co.uk and please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. So let's get on with the show. Today I'm talking to Bevis Moynan. Bevis is a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming and is a senior trainer of motivational mapping. He trains coaches, consultants and professionals to work with businesses and individuals with the purpose of improving motivation and performance. This is achieved through a deeper awareness of the real challenges that face each and every one of us in modern life. His philosophy helps grow awareness in a surprisingly simple and practical way. Hope you enjoy this little chat we had about mental health and I will catch you all on the other side. So Bevis, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Oh, hey Mark, good to talk. I was um, looking forward to talking to you today, as I as I do with everybody, really. But and one of the things that um, we've talked about in the past is uh, mental health, and it's obviously something that is close to our both our hearts. So I'll be looking forward to talking about that in, the, in as um, as we progress through the podcast. But one of the things that I ask everybody uh, right at the beginning is that um, what I'd like to know, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know, is uh, why do you do what you do? And what was the pivotal moment that led you to do it? Oh, crikey. Um, so, yeah, there were a couple of pivotal moments, really. Um, I mean, if we, we kind of go all the way back, I was growing up, I was madly passionate about cricket um, and kind of developed a, a sense of self-worth and uh, self-esteem around playing cricket. It's worth mentioning I grew up in Yorkshire, which probably makes a bit more sense for people. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, Yorkshire is the internationally injury is the hub of cricket. Everybody plays cricket. <laughs> is that official? <laughs> uh, well, it is nowadays. They're, they're, they're kind okay. of well, madly passionate about cricket in India um, and full stadiums. And, and, and Yorkshire mm. is the equivalent in, in England. There's mm. more cricket played in Yorkshire than, than, in, uh, than in Australia. So, so yeah. I grew up madly passionate about cricket. And looking back, I kind of ended up without really realising it, there was points on that journey that I, I st- where I stopped enjoying it. And I didn't notice at the time because I wasn't aware enough. Obviously, I was quite young. But I remember being stood on the cricket field, being terrified of dropping a catch. Um, I, I was kind of representing Yorkshire at the time. I, I went on to play for England at amateur level. And, and so if you like, my journey started then because I ended up getting becoming so afraid that I had a county cricket trial that I didn't turn up to. Um, and again, I was, wasn't really aware what was going on. I just choose to bail from that opportunity. And so years, years later, when I was 30 years old, the chairman of my cricket club, um, and again, cricket was still a big part of my life, age 30, I was captain of my local club and on the committee and trained twice a week and playing twice a weekend. He, he literally overnight handed in his notice from his national sales role and started up a new business. And I was like, oh, hang on, what's that all about, James? And he, he started to have some conversations with me about NLP, which was sufficient that made me curious. And that's all it was. And I was still very, um, 
I'm going to say this. I guess I was pretty cynical about personal development. Mm -hmm. um, at that stage of my life, I thought life coaches were con artists. Um, um, I was a pretty dour, typical northerner back then. Um, and um, no offence for our northern northern <laughs> listeners who are more enlightened than I was. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so, so I found myself on a one-day intro day, and again, that sparked my curiosity um, to then actually invest in myself and found myself on a seven-day practitioner course. So that was a start, really. Mm -hmm. um, and on that journey, I then learned loads about management. I was in a management role at the time, managing people, managing teams of people, getting frustrated by all the usual things managers get frustrated by, inability to handle conflict, squabbling within the team. Um, I used to get frustrated by my team's inability to deal with complaints effectively. So I was really on the course twofold, really. One, just because I was curious about some of the things James had said and, and obviously what he'd done. And two, because I wanted to improve as a manager um, and as a leader. So that was, that was the starting point. And then obviously I've just continued learning from there, really. Right. Yes. So, um, so those pivotal moments, obviously important in, in the decision you made, and obviously we're all influenced by others uh, and seeing what other people are doing. It was interesting you, you mentioned about the cynical part because a lot of people are cynical about um, learning and, and personal development, uh, and, and it takes a while to get to the to that point where you're accepting of different knowledge. And we know that not everything's going to help us, but it's actually being open-minded enough to actually accept there are things that will help us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was kind of blown away what I learned by what I learned that week that really helped me as a, a as a manager and as a leader, helped grow my confidence and my influencing skills, um, and obviously learned lots of things that I didn't know. There was also still things that I learned that I was still very cynical about. The therapeutic elements of NLP I was still very, very cynical about. Um, and it wasn't really until I, I committed to the master practitioner journey a couple of years later um, back in 2010, where it was during that week that I overcome or understood this pattern of avoiding failure and, and being afraid of failing and, and a sort of self-sabotage pattern that had run from my teenage years onwards where I was avoiding failure to stay safe and stay comfortable. And it was like a massive light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, geez. Um, and letting go of that pattern, really. I mean, I, I went on my master practitioner course in 2010 uh, with the intention again of, of it helping me in my career and the day I left the course I set up a new business so so mm. that was definitely a pivotal moment um, the next pivotal moment after that and I know these are these are close to mine and your heart so mm. eight, eight months later I, I had set the business up I was now coaching I was still employed I told my boss I was leaving um, uh, and he was actually quite open to that we were just having a conversation about exit plans and then I filled one of these strange motivational map things out. Um, mm. And, and I, was, I'd, I was already on the journey. Mm. But what the map did for me is it, it really explained fully that as a high searcher spirit creator, working in local government at the time as a manager, mm. I was absolutely doing the right things. And my, my kind of dreamy, wishy-washy plan, which had a bit of a vision in it, all of a sudden became much more concrete, much more firm. And I then became actually settled. I actually sat down after I'd completed my map with my, my, my boss at the time, who's still a good friend, mm. and said, Look, my intention now is to have left by within 12 months. Um, so the map really gave me the confidence to understand what was motivated. I'll never forget Nick, the chap who debriefed my map. I'll never forget him saying to me, Bevis, it's not like you're ever going to want less freedom. 
And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And I meant because uh, I was excited. I was like, he's so right. I'm not going to want this freedom. And I'm feeling mm. a bit constrained as it is. So I kind of knew in that, that was another light bulb where I went. Mm. All of a sudden, I just knew. It was almost like I knew I had to carry on and actually follow through on what started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas up until that point, you know what it's like when you're part of this kind of thinking, oh, well, I could just... Just stay a bit long, you know what I mean? It, mm. uh, at that moment, I fully committed, which of course is both terrifying and exciting. Yeah, and we're all looking for signs that we're doing the right thing, and, and obviously that's another thing that came along to confirm that the, what you were doing uh, was uh, the right path. Um, I thought I think it'd be worthwhile just going back to what you said about your top drivers there, the spirit searcher mm. and um, creator, and just to say what they mean, because there will obviously be people listening wondering what those those characteristics are. Yeah, well, well, back then, my number one driver or motivational preference was, was spirit, which is around freedom, independence, autonomy, doing your own things in your own way, in your own time. The beautiful thing about the map is you also get a score of how you're feeling. Um, so I was feeling 40% fulfilled in that driver, which, again, makes a lot of sense when you're working in local government. They just brought this thing in that you had to share your calendar so that uh, um, people could see what you're doing every every moment of every day and I really didn't like that um, so so yeah there was the search this the spirit was my top drive the search was number two which is around meaning and purpose and doing worthwhile work and helping other people and albeit that wasn't that poorly fulfilled at the time because I was working in leisure helping people ultimately to get fitter and more active mm. and developing kind of leisure centers and projects it wasn't, I knew it also wasn't where my passion was going. I found this new passion around coaching and consulting and that's where I wanted to. That, that's, if you like, where my energy was flowing. That was the direction. Yeah. Um, and then the third driver was, for me, and still is, innovation and creativity, doing new things in new ways, new ideas. And again, that explained, that helped me unpick a lot of conflict at, at the time from where I was working. Because, of course, I was working with a lot of people who were motivated by security and stability. Mm. And uh, and it actually really helped me, albeit I was at, I was exiting. It really helped me improve the quality of my relationships with my peers during the last twelve months of my work. So much so that when I left, I ended up consulting for my old employers and actually doing some motivational map projects with right. uh, with a chap called John, who had previously been my nemesis. Um, and I mean that in the nicest possible word. Me and John are good friends, but we certainly clashed for for, for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I've, I've heard your story a few times, and obviously John was important in that um, he, he, you had a challenge with him, didn't you? And he, obviously, clearly, you were driven by two things um, which you weren't aware of, but obviously by using maps and the technology we, that we use to um, highlight what motivates us, we can actually um, have those conversations which um, don't change anything, but actually just heightens our awareness and stops those conflicts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it really, that's the best example I've got for, the, for understanding the language around motivation. Mm. All of a sudden, I had a new language. Mm. Um, and bear in mind, I was trained in NLP at the time, so I was already pre reasonably skilled around language. Um, but I, I hadn't appreciated that, that for John, who's somebody who's motivated by security, stability, predictability, loyalty, that I was being seen as a threat. Mm. I kept talking about culture and innovation and doing things independently. And, and, and what happened was we found a common language. I was able to then explain. Obviously, my role was all around change, but I was able to explain change to John mm. in a way in which led to longer-term security and stability for him and his team, which mm. was actually true. That was the case. We were aiming to do that. 
Yeah. I just never verbalized it in that way because that wasn't important to me. But it was really important to him. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a big, big, big eye, well, big insight or big learning for me. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So we, we should move on now to talk about the subject um, of this podcast, which is mental health. Uh, I, I think the first thing I, I, I want to ask you is uh, why mental health in particular you want to talk about? Well, I think I think mental health is is on the radar. It's on the agenda right now, and quite 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 rightly too. Um, I mean, I was watching the television during, during Mental Health Week and these statistics around um, one in four people being having a, a, a mental health condition, and and that really got me thinking because um, it's a funny one. If you and they were talking also about schools about how again one in four children having an undiagnosed condition. Mm. And I, I got, it really got me thinking, obviously, I've got two young children at school. Um, I, I work as a therapist, life coach, business coach, consultant. I've done lots of what you might call practical coaching, helping people. But I've also done quite a lot of therapeutic coaching, helping people to overcome past emotional scar tissue and past trauma. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel reasonably well positioned to have a conversation about mental health. Um, and... What struck me was that though, out of those one in four, which I do believe is a step forward because it's been more widely recognised, I, I wouldn't have been considered one of those one in four when I was at school. Mm. And my good mate Andy wouldn't have been considered as one in four when he was at school. Yet both of us um, have, I, was, I had a pattern of avoiding failure that was growing and I was getting more and more afraid about the thing I was most passionate about. And my good mate Andy would openly admit he nearly had a bit of a breakdown when he was 22, not long after he'd left education. So I, it got me thinking that I think mental health can have, I think the stigma is, is reducing, but I kind of feel like mental health affects everybody. Mm. Because at the end of the day, and this is the one piece of information that, that kind of really helped me improve my quality of life, our, the way we feel is largely affected by our thoughts. And we all have twelve to 60,000 thoughts a day. And you know what? Some of those thoughts are absolute nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, if we're honest, a lot of those thoughts are absolutely nonsense. Yeah. So, so I, 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 don't feel like men, I don't feel like you've either got a mental health condition or you haven't. I feel like everybody's quality of mental health goes up and down every moment of every day. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 absolutely. I think that's spot on. And um, I, I've noticed, it's funny how when you start... It's like anything when you start looking for stuff, you know, you're looking for a red car and everything, there's red cars everywhere. But recently yeah. when I know it's going to be talking about mental health, I've sort of, lots of things have been popping up. And what I've noticed yeah. is that um, the, the word or the, the, the phrase mental health first aider is popping up a lot. Uh, and yeah. it's interesting when we talk about first aid, you know, we talk about physical um, uh, wellness and, and, um, and that side of things. But, you know, mental health first aid there, there is probably even more need um because it's not it's not physical we can't see it we can't feel it as as in, in the same way as uh, maybe a, a physical ailment yeah and i think i think you're absolutely right there's a real need there and there's a real need mm. for, for for heightened awareness mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't have to be complicated um uh, and because the, the beautiful thing about being human is we, we know how we're feeling because of our emotions. Mm. Our emotions tell us how we're feeling. And what we begin to understand is that when we're not feeling good, we, our thought processes aren't as clear. 
So if a, a mental health first aider or a coach or a therapist or a counsellor or a psychotherapist or a hypnotherapist, whoever, mm. all of us people who are out there in the, um, in the world of helping other people, or if let's be honest, just a good mate, <laughs> we've, yeah. all been that, we've all been that person, haven't we, where somebody just vents to us and at the end of venting, the person says, oh, I feel so much better and you've done nothing <laughs> other than just sit or stand and listen without judgment. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing because when what's happening unconsciously comes out of the person's mind, either onto paper or is verbalized, you do begin to feel better because you, the conscious mind starts to make sense of what's going on. So I'm kind of excited by, by the mental health um, movement, if there is such a thing, yeah. because ultimately that, that core message that our thoughts create our feelings is one that me and you take for granted now, having been in this person's development world for a little while. Yeah. But the vast majority of the population have no idea that they think mm. I am anxious. Not, and if, it, if you feel you are anxious, there's kind of nothing you can do about it because there's a feeling. I was having a coaching session yesterday with a lady whose whose son had a panic attack at school, um, and it turned out they found where it came from and what the trigger was. But he mm. didn't feel like he felt disempowered because it was just I have anxiety. Well. Mm. When you understand that it's actually anxious thinking that's causing anxiety, then there's some, all of a sudden you're empowered to find out what the thinking is and mm. have a conversation about that thinking and hopefully let go of that thinking and move forward. So, mm. so yeah, yeah, I'm really, uh, well, I'm passionate about mental health because I, I've, I don't know how many thousands of hours of coaching I've done, but lots. And, mm. and even when it's labeled business coaching, it's largely not. It's about helping people find clarity, <laughs> peace of mind, and often, helping them to improve their relationships at home as well. Yeah, I mean, there's not really anything, no such thing as business coaching as such. It's really, it's people coaching, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, majority of the time, that, that's the case anyway. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I absolutely resonate with what you're saying, because I remember when I was in my um, leadership position, going back a few years, that I, I felt trapped in what I was doing. I felt that I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the knowledge, felt that it was just on a downward spiral of just getting worse and worse and all this um, this feeling of being um, responsible for the business and the people that worked in it. Um, you can quite quite quickly get into that downward spiral of there's no way out of this, what can I do, and not really finding anything that can help you. Uh, and I think the, the important thing of what you've already mentioned is actually just reaching out and finding people that can help you because you know, there's, there's a myriad of people that can help especially with mental health and stop you um, to get, get getting into that downward spiral of thinking so that you actually make better decisions based on clearer thinking, uh, which isn't about the emotional situation that you're, you're stuck in or you feel you're stuck in. Yeah, absolutely. Cause the emotion is only a product of, I mean, I, I like to use the analogy that, that, that um, what is stress? Cause stress is an overused word. Stress really is repeated pressure. And what is repeated pressure? Well, pressure ultimately, if we experience it as human beings, is repeated thought and repeating patterns of thought. So yeah, the, the main thing is to reach out because it's, if you like, our egoic mind isolates uh, and when we're not feeling good. So my client yesterday nearly didn't turn up. She was like, oh, I felt so bad. I didn't want to never, and I was like, so, so pleased. She, she chose to not react from the place of negative emotion and, and, mm. and they, like act from a higher place of consciousness. Now this will be good for me. And then within an hour, she's feeling great because all of a sudden she feels like she's got some solutions. So, so absolutely reaching out and, and talking to somebody. And I had the same experience after I became a parent. 
I don't share this story very often, but two months after becoming a parent, I wasn't feeling quite right. Mm. And I had no idea why. And at the time, I was a master practitioner of NLP. I was a master practitioner of timeline therapy and hypnosis and trained in motivational mapping. And I was telling myself the story, you shouldn't feel this way because mm. you know all of this stuff. But the fact of the matter was I did feel that way. And actually, having then reached out, I told them that I was kind of spent a couple of months battling with myself and resisting it, which I think if anybody is listening to this story, having experienced something different, if you stop, as soon as you stop battling and stop resisting, and accept that there is something not quite right, that's the moment that things start to improve for you. Mm. Um, so I, I was lucky. I was part of the coach community. So I reached out to a couple of people I really trust, had a couple of conversations. And the upshot, the upshot ultimately was what I realized was that, that there was just a lack of space in my life for me. So I was coaching, really busy coaching, 30-plus hours a week, and all of the admin administration around running a business. And then I was coming home, and obviously as a new dad, things were busy at home too. Mm. Um, and there was also a little bit of guilt around feeling that way. Um, so it took a little while and a few conversations, and the upshot was I, I ended up learning to meditate. And I now meditate regularly, aim to meditate every day, don't manage that all the time. But mm. that, that created that space just, just for me. And, and when we say space, I don't mean space to watch telly or to read a book even, but space to just really clear your mind. Um, and that's been hugely beneficial for me. And of course, the health benefits of meditation are now proven. Yeah, yeah. And as you've mentioned it again there, the, 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 the importance of just reaching out and talking. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be an expert, just someone that is going to listen. Uh, yeah. I was talking, it was, a, it was another podcast episode actually, and um, the expression um, to give a good listening to was, was mentioned. And I, and I thought, Yes, that's so important because we talk about people, you know, getting having a good talking to, but actually have a good listening to is is just as important. And just being able to have someone listen to you, um, not give you any, you know, um, wisdom or answers, just to listen to you and just say, well, actually, what you're doing or what how you're feeling is actually absolutely fine, and and it'll pass, or you know, it's you know, it's just. Having someone there just to listen is so important. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's that listening without judgment. Because mm. um, often people have emotions of shame or embarrassment or guilt. And, and the moment that, that people realize that they're not being judged and that they, they are being listened to and that, that they are able to then trust and offload uh, and then begin to rationalize some of the thought processes, mm. it's just the process of speaking. Uh, uh, you become more aware of what's going on. Mm. Um, in the, the book that I wrote with James Sale on, on mapping motivational coaching, James said that part of the role of a coach is to paraphrase what your clients just said to you. And I was like, is it? I'm not sure it is. And the next, <laughs> session, the next session, I found myself doing just that. I went, no, James yeah. Sale. Um, yeah, so you're, you're already doing it. It's just that someone said it and you actually realize actually that is, is what I do anyway without even thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think, I think, being being able to offload when you're not feeling good to somebody that you trust, um, whether that be a friend, a colleague, or somebody, or a counsellor, coach, whoever, mm. uh, is such a huge part. It, for, and I don't. And I think the thing is about mental health. We should let go of the stigma. Really, it, it's just it's just it's just such a wonderful process of managing our thoughts. Because mm. um, I think that affects, well, in fact, I don't think, I don't know, that affects everybody, um, whoever we are, whether we consider ourselves to have a mental health issue or not. Mm. Absolutely.
Um, and, and I think um, it'd be worth sort of just expanding on maybe some other signs of if our mental health is maybe on the decline. You've mentioned a few things, but is there anything else that comes to mind that signs that you are starting to, you know, maybe not make good decisions? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's twofold here. There's the signs for the individual, and there's the mm. signs for, if you like, employers or managers or leaders. Mm. Um, so, signs for individual are, are actually that you're uh, low on energy, obviously. <laughs> I say obviously, but people might not link the two. Being lower on energy than normal, um, withdrawing. And I don't mean just deciding to stay in one evening because you're a bit tired. I mean persistently withdrawing from from activity and. and if you like, social activities. Mm. So withdrawing, being low on energy, and of course the obvious one is experiencing persistent negative emotion. Um, the, yeah. the negative, and the thing I try and help people to appreciate is negative emotion is a gift. Um, it doesn't feel like it, <laughs> but it really is, because it's telling you that there's something going, there's something to learn about your thought processes, which once you've learned, that emotional pattern will disappear. Mm. Um, so, so those would be the signs for an individual, um, low on energy, withdrawal and, and persistent negative emotion. For, for a manager or a leader, um, actually paying attention, it sounds, it sounds an odd one, but body language. When people aren't feeling good, you, you, and people get this, I ask this, this on workshops, if somebody's a bit not feeling good or a bit depressed, where are they looking? They're often looking down, their body language is often slouched and looking down to the left or the right. Yeah. So paying attention to body language, and again, also paying attention for people reacting emotionally in an irrational manner, um, because obviously that is a sign of at least stress, if not other things. Um, hmm. so, so I think the two things combined, paying attention to body language and paying attention to instances where people are seeming to be reacting in a manner that doesn't fit with previous behavior and patterns of behavior that you know of or, yeah. or where people become emotional or overly emotional in, in circumstances that don't seem to uh, where previously they perhaps wouldn't have yeah yeah and I, I think the tendency in maybe in the past has been to um try to tr well maybe i'm not qualified i'll, I'll i'm not going to get involved but just offering to, to to listen as we've already mentioned is 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 so valuable in many instances uh, yeah abs absolutely um there's a poster at um one place i work which is around child well-being uh, and the poster is basically showing a, a poster of the child and it said don't wait until it's too late mm. um, and it's a really evocative kind of poster because it can be cracky yeah you don't want to be that person who who, who who doesn't speak up when something's happening and and i think look we, we should we should care we, for, for people's and, and if we look at it from a from a business productivity point of view if someone often nowadays stress I, I don't know the stats but i'd like to i'd like to think i'm fairly sure should i say that stress is one of the number one causes of of people being off work and, and mm. loss of productivity. So handling and managing that build-up from thoughts to pressure to stress to mental illness, mm. it's like we want to create a, a break in that process, a valve, a release valve for people, so that they don't just... So, and, and if we can spot the signs as a colleague, a manager, or a, a leader, mm. then, then there's something we can do about it, which is great. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's keeping a, a check in, like you say. Anybody that's um, just a little bit um, not quite themselves, um, you know, um, have, um, offer offer an ear to to listen. Is, is everything okay? Um, yeah, 
Uh, obviously, we could talk about this for, for hours, um, Bevis, and I think um, obviously all, all what you've already said is is really valuable. But just to, just to finish off our conversation, I'd just like to maybe offer you the sort of the opportunity just to sum up maybe three tips um, for those listening that maybe are in a leadership role, how they can use what we've talked about to um, maintain theirs and their their team's mental health. Yeah, well, I think I think the first tip is to take it seriously. And I know that sounds pretty glib, um, but what I mean by that is that, that often mental health hasn't been dealt with because people haven't known how to deal with it, if that makes sense. Mm. So, so I think the first thing is to realize that this isn't actually that, that it isn't as challenging to deal with as people think. Um, what we need is to be paying attention to it and providing conduits for people to have honest conversations. So yeah. how you go about doing that, whether it be creating internal coaches, loads of great examples of internal coaching in Google and bigger organizations, mm. as well as small businesses having HR members of the team coming in or having external coaches in. So have really pay attention to and invest in your people. Don't see it as just dealing with mental health. Mental health. See it as dealing with improving performance, improving productivity, improving efficiency, and also making sure you're looking after people along that journey so you don't have one of your top performers suddenly off with stress for five months. Because if when people lose their top staff and they haven't spotted those signs, that really can cripple small businesses and have a real big negative impact on larger organizations too. So I think number one thing would be take it seriously and start looking at what can be done with mental health and performance on a wider scale by looking after people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think linked with that is then about just having meetings about it, paying attention to it, and, and thinking about either creating internal coaches or mental health first aiders or using your network of, because of, most people have got some quality. If they, if they aren't linked with quality coaches, they're no, never too far away these days. There's, mm -hmm. there's lots of quality coaches and consultants out there that can help. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, so thank you, Bevis. It's been uh, really fascinating. Um, I'm hoping that we can talk again, hopefully, in, in the future about something um, similar or even the same subject because there's lots more to talk about with uh, mental health. But for, for now, thank you um, and um, have, hope you have a great day. No, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to talk and obviously happy to, happy to chat again at any time. Take care. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening today. As action leads to outcomes, make sure you make a note to start, stop, or continue doing whatever struck a chord in this episode. Don't forget to subscribe at thereluctantleader.co.uk where you'll find links to all the past episodes, vlogs, blogs, and how you can get in touch with me. Until next time, bye for now.